0: John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, we will read through verse 4. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? As I've said on many occasions, my preferred method of preaching is exposition, generally through a whole book, sometimes through a particular passage, maybe just a chapter or uh, and what I might consider to be a very useful and helpful shorter passage. This evening I have something of a topical message, <clears throat> while I think a steady diet of topical messages are Uh, often not healthy for an assembly, I think an occasional one is useful and uh, is my hope that as strong a word, as we heard this morning, we will find as encouraging a word this evening. I'd like to speak to you the subject this evening of the bravest man in all the world. The bravest man in all the world. And we have uh, before us a text which contains some of the most profound thoughts in all of Scripture, primarily verse 4. You'll notice that it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth. Having given His farewell discourse and His high priestly prayer in chapters 14 through 17, the Lord Jesus took His beloved disciples and retired to a garden over the brook Kidron. Judas Iscariot, the Lord's betrayer, well knew the place, for it was a favorite place to which the Lord resorted with His dear and beloved friends. Now here it was that the son of perdition came with a mob to take our Lord to His death. As John chronicled, this extraordinary event, he tells us when Jesus Christ's betrayer and his band of soldiers and officers from the Pharisee arrived with their weapons, Jesus did a most remarkable thing. Two words. It says he went forth. He went forth. Now, if we understand this correctly, At least in my estimation, we must conclude that this is the single most amazing act of bravery and courage that has ever taken place or ever will take place in all of human history. Now, I realize I'm saying something grand when I say that. Because we can look back through history and we can see certain moments where there were extraordinary feats of bravery and courage. Things that have brought out from our own bosoms the admiration and the respect of, of those who have performed some of these acts. Who of us can read any of the stories regarding the, the policemen and the firemen that ran into the burning building on September 11th for the purpose of saving lives? How can we hear those things and not be stirred? And, and say along with our society, what brave men, what courageous men. We think of our own soldiers right now as they uh, are there in Iraq. And knowing that many of them are young men with families, with children. And their one desire, as many of them have said over and over and over, was something noble. Whatever our, our particular views of this war are or whatever our views of war in general are. The fact that there are those who have the courage, who have the fortitude, the, the, the personal constitution to say, for the safety, the well-being, and the freedom of others, I will lay my own life on the line. It cannot but stir in us uh, and awaken in us human emotions that nothing else does. And yet, I do not mean for a moment to diminish the personal sacrifices of men and women throughout history. All of the brave acts and all of the courageous and selfless acts in history all put together, in my estimation, cannot reach the magnitude found in the two words, went forth. Especially in a day when there is so little Christian manhood, and because of this, so little true courage, I believe it will do us good to consider the bravest man and the bravest act in all the world. Here is a model of what true courage looks like. If you want it modeled so that your mind can wrap around it, I I urge you to sit and bathe in this text and be dumbfounded once we've considered it for a little while. First of all, we want to try to open this up just under foreheads Number one, bravery defined. What do we mean when we use that word? Secondly, the foundational elements of Christ's bravery. The foundational elements of Christ's bravery. Then we would consider the crucible of Christ's bravery. And finally, the fruit of Christ's bravery. God willing, let us then consider... The definition of bravery. Uh, there are a lot of words in our vocabulary that we use often, though we might be hard pressed to define them. We, we know what it means to some degree, and we might be able to uh, attempt a definition by illustrating it, but sometimes the words themselves fall short. But bravery, or, or our attempted, excuse me, our attempt. To define them, uh, fall short. Now, bravery means undaunted spirit, fearlessness of danger, a personal fearlessness of danger. Courage, likewise, means that quality of mind, that quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or depression of spirits. In other words, cowering down. Now we must again consider the background here. The Lord Jesus Christ has given His most blessed farewell discourse. He has spoken of the glorious promises of the Holy Spirit. He's promised His dear children that He's going to come for them. He's going to prepare mansions for them. He speaks of His going away. And then in their presence, He lifts His eyes to heaven. And as the great High Priest about to offer the ultimate sacrifice, He prays for His own. He then leaves the city. They leave the upper room. And they cross this little brook Kidron. And we can only assume when it talks about a garden there, very often they were walled in those days. And the passage does talk about them going into and coming out of. So it's likely that there were walls around it. It was a a place where they would go and quietly pray and fellowship speak of glorious things together. And in night, Judas, his betrayer, comes with a huge band of soldiers bearing weapons. It's very likely, if we understand the way the uh, Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke lay out this particular time that His disciples were asleep. Christ by Himself. And then, knowing all things that should come upon Him, Jesus went forth. What were the foundational elements of this kind of bravery? As we will consider in just a few minutes some of what he was facing, we need to try to grasp how he had such fortitude, how he had such extreme inner strength. I think the Scripture gives us at least these foundational elements, though I'm quite sure there are others. First of all, the bravest man in all the world had an intimate knowledge of the true and living God. The bravest man in all the world had an intimate knowledge of the true and living God. First of all, Christ Jesus knew His Father's character. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 tells us, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that know their God shall be strong. It doesn't say some of them. It says, the people that know those that have an intimate knowledge of their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. And it is obvious from the testimony of the Word of God, no one ever, no one ever had an intimate knowledge of the Father in heaven, greater than that of the Son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and as we've talked about on numerous occasions, the word with there actually means toward. The word was toward the God, uh, giving us a glorious picture of a father and a son beholding one another in the, in the Hebrew idiom of face to face. We see a glorious picture painted for us, for us of an eternal love and union and communion. Throughout all eternity, the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father. It was an unbroken fellowship. And it was something that was clearly carried out all through Christ's life. Until those moments He hung dying upon the cross. Psalm chapter 22 prophesies of Christ. Verse 9, But thou art He that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon Thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. From the very beginning, from the time of Christ's birth, this glorious and intimate union between the Father and now the incarnate Son existed. Unbroken! That precious babe, lying and nursing at its mother's breast, was cast wholly upon his Father. I cannot understand that. But it is the Word of God. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. When he was but a young man of twelve, Christ had a clear understanding of His great Father in heaven. When His parents asked Him why He was not in the party going home from Jerusalem, they were in anguish and concern over His well-being. Why did You do this to us? He answered in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, and He said, how is it that ye sought me? This was not the smart aleck answer of a, a 12, a 13 year old. As we might hear today, when he said this, he was saying it in truth and in wonder. How is it? How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Isn't it apparent to you that I must do what my Father has called me to do? There was no rebellion in this answer. This was the voice of one who, even at twelve, had an intimate and clear communion with his Father in heaven. He knew his God. From his mother's breasts, from, from eternity to his mother's breast, to his childhood, and all throughout his ministry. He gave testimony that he knew, loved, communed with his Father. He would withdraw from the activities of the day and his labors among the poor and among the needy. To do what? To commune with his Father. To pray. To go to the quiet place. Christ knew His Father. And this is what made Him strong. And this is why He could do exploits. Christ not only knew His Father's great and mighty character as uh -uh, His loving Father, but He knew His Father's power. He knew His Father's power. I remember... Moments of my childhood, they were fleeting. For me, there were not many of them. But I remember moments when my father would hold me. And that always felt like the safest place in the world. And it ought to. The safest place in the world in the father's strong arms. Brethren, this is one of the reasons Christ was the brave man that he was. He knew that He was always, always in union and communion with His Almighty Father. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 says, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, Christ Messiah walking among men, knew that His Father was the Almighty, that all power was His. He knew that His Father was a man of war. Exodus 15, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath He cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them They sank into the bottom as a stone. The right hand of the Lord has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of his nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as in heap and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Brethren, do you see them straining to try to illustrate, to try to put together language that holds forth these glorious pictures of power and might and strength? Christ the, Christ the Holy Son knew His Father was a man of war. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretched out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Christ knew that in a moment, all of His enemies, had He so desired, could have been destroyed in a moment. Because He knew His Father. He knew His power. He knew His strength. There is none like Him. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 24 says, O Lord God, Thou hast begun to show Thy servant Thy greatness and Thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to Thy works and according to Thy might? Brethren, could it be that as we take these moments and think upon these foundational elements, of Christ's bravery and His courage. That maybe what is lacking in our own could have something to do with this. Do we really know our God? Do we know Him to be the Lord God Almighty? I didn't say, did you simply read it and nod your head? But do you read it? Does your heart embrace it And then do we walk in it with the confidence that our God is the man of war. The very one upon whom Christ was cast from His mother's womb is the one that we, as beloved children, cast ourselves upon. The one upon whom we can cast ourselves. Brethren, all power is His. As First Chronicles 29.11 says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of Thee and Thou reignest over all. Brethren, it's hard in our flesh for us to believe when those withering trials come upon us. When suffering lies within our bosom. It's hard to believe that we are loved of God, that He has all power. When we face trials and when the storms of life beat upon our houses and we so clearly, so keenly feel our weaknesses, it is then that our fleshly unbelief rises to the top, is it not? Yet Christ Jesus Knew his father. A great element in his doing exploits was that the Father in heaven never left him, was always with him. This gave him great strength. Not only that, brethren, Christ knew his father's love. He knew his father's love. He hadn't simply heard about it. He lived day by day basking in the light of it. As John 3.35 says, Christ testifying, the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. Brethren, if we doubt the love of our Father, it will give us no backbone. It will give us no strength, no confidence. It will give us no courage for the day. Oh, we might fool ourselves into mustering up some human fleshly fortitude. But when the greatest trials come, very often, those human strengths melt away. Christ knew His Father's love. He knew His character. He knew His power. He knew His love. These things strengthened him and made him brave and courageous. And brethren, so it will with us. Secondly, the bravest man in all the world had a clear knowledge of God's Word. He had a clear knowledge of God's Word. The testimony of Scripture is overwhelming in this. We couldn't even begin to just start giving examples of it without taking up the rest of the evening. But over and over in the disputes with those who hated him, Jesus would ask, Have ye not read? Have ye not read? Have ye not read? As his enemies emptied the minds that were full of hatred upon him in their ignorance and in their dullness, very often even attempting to wheel the Scriptures toward him, he'd say, Have ye not read? One of the things that gave him absolute courage was that he knew the Word of God. I confess to my own shame that as a father, as a husband, as an elder, the times when I've trembled the most before the providences that stood before me was when I stood gazing at them and thinking about them and realizing I wasn't sure God's Word to turn for light and strength and guidance. How paltry our knowledge of our God is because we spend so little time learning Him in His Word. Learning of His great character. Learning of His great power. Learning of His great love. Brethren, we have it from this very Word that the love that the Father has for the Son is poured out on the likes of you and me. Jesus knew and walked in the comfort of the knowledge of His Father's Word. Christ knew His Father's commandments. And he knew his Father's promises. They were sweet to him. He loved the Word. It says, as his custom was, he went to the, to the synagogue. He loved to go and hear the Word of his God preached. The very Word that was about him and about his Father's eternal purpose. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. The Father says, Ask of Me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Brethren, Christ did not operate in ignorance in the face of this. He knew every moment as He walked. He knew this, that His Father had purposed that He should be the Anointed One. And that all the kingdoms of earth were His. He knew that great promise. You say, well, He was Messiah. We're just little specks of dust. Oh, brethren, don't forget, Paul said, we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And we shall rule and reign with Him. That is an unfailing promise. Brethren, if we truly had hold of that, by that, the glorious Spirit of God, would it not strengthen our arm? Would it not make us braver and more courageous in the things that we did day by day? Acts chapter 2, verse 33 says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this. In Hebrews we told who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, bearing the shame. What was the joy set before Him? It was His bride. And here, knowing that there was a promise from the Father for His precious bride, brethren, He went to that cross. He not only Purchased a perfect righteousness for you and me upon that cross. Dear brethren, He purchased gifts for men. And one of them being this blessed Spirit poured out upon us. He knew what the Father had promised. And so He walked day by day in the strength and in the courage of this blessed Word. He knew that on the other side of that cross He would sit on the right hand of the Father until all of His enemies were made His footstool. And brethren, we are in Him by the regenerating power and union of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the bravest man in all the world had a burning zeal for the will of God. He had a burning zeal for the will of God. Now, we shall never manifest bravery in the cause of Christ if we do not have hearts blazing to see His will done. This doesn't fall on us out of a tree. We don't stumble over it. Who in his right mind would half-heartedly take up a cause which could cost him everything? you know a man or a woman that would do such? No. Why, very often in our day, we have people that look at a cause and say, yes, a worthy cause. Oh, but I'm busy. Who would put his finances, his worldly success, the opinion of men, and even his life on the line for something that does not fire His imagination, that does not capture His heart. Brethren, Jesus Christ showed forth a burning zeal for the worship of His Father. John chapter 2, verse 13 says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting... And when He had made a scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple. You mean meek, lowly, mild Jesus made a whip? Turned over men's businesses and scattered their money? Ran them out of the temple of God? Yes. Not many think upon that Jesus. They like the babe in the manger. They like the one that spoke of love. But they don't like the idea of Him making a whip and running people out of a building. What could cause Him to do such a thing? Oh, brethren, it was a zeal for His Father's honor. It was a zeal for His Father's honor. He said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not My Father's house. My Father's house. He doesn't say the Father. It's personal. My own heart is burning for the honor of My Father. Brethren, if we have no love for the Father, if we do not know Him and His character and His power and His love, we will not burn in zeal when we see Him dishonored. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ was eaten up with it. it says, and His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house eaten me up. I must confess, brethren, I have to wrestle with a holy constraint and restraint, pleading with the Lord for mercy when I preach and when I come to the subject of modern American religion. For I would not put on a vain and fleshly show of simply pointing fingers and placing blame and And it's very easy to sit back and criticize and and try to make one's own case sound like the only case there is. It's very easy to do. But I must say, brethren, the strongest things that I say, the volcanic eruptions in my own heart, if I know my mind, if I know this feeble frame, come from a desire to see Him honored and His truth magnified. This is what took, this is what prompted Phinehas when he saw the Israelite bring a strange woman to his tent to run into the tent and to run the spear through both of them. You would say, what a, a horrible act. And it says God covenanted with him and his family for the rest of his days. He saw his God being dishonored. And while I do not encourage us in such a time as ours and under the new covenant to act in such a way, we cannot but admire a zeal that says I cannot bear to see my God and His doctrine." Defiled.
1: I cannot bear it.
0: The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. This is what our Lord said. Brethren, the Lord Jesus not only had a burning zeal for His Father's worship, but a burning zeal for His Father's will. John chapter 4, verse 32, But He said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. They were stunned that after a long day's journey, They went into the town to get some food and they came back and here's the Lord Jesus talking away with a woman. They said, Master, you need to eat something. And his words in effect were, I'm busy. I've got something to do. I'm feasting on a different meal right now. And what was it? Well, the the disciples looked at one another and said, well, have any man brought him aught to eat? He said, Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. He had a zeal. Well, what was that work? Brethren, it's easy for us to look at this and miss that what he's saying is that the very zeal that he's talking about would end on a cross outside the city with Him writhing in agony. Fourthly, the bravest man in all the world always had His Father's presence. Always. John chapter 8, verse 28 says, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, Then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and He that sent me is with me. Brethren, Jesus spoke the boldest things men have ever said. What gave Him the backbone to do that? He knew His God, He knew His Father. He knew His character. He knew His Word. He knew His power. And He knew that that great and mighty God was always with Him. And yet, brethren, do we not have the same promise? Do we not have the same promise? Hebrews tells us, "...I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee." Our God is always with us, as I have preached before. God with us is His name. And He is always with us. He never leaves us. Well, let us consider then the crucible for Christ's bravery. Let us return and think upon this scene for a few minutes.
1: <clears throat>
0: the Gospels, as I said, made a picture that makes it likely that the disciples were sleeping. The Lord Jesus Christ is with them. He's been agonizing in the garden. And yet, the ones closest to Him are sound asleep. No doubt the Lord Jesus Christ could hear in the still of the night the sound of a very large mob coming His direction. Jesus had prepared all His life for this moment. All of His life for this moment. John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, came I into the world. This world. Brethren, Jesus had to face His enemies. And they were many. And they were driven by the very devils of hell and by their own fleshly hatred and their darkened religious hearts. Murderous envy drove them. And there was no possible way that that would change. He was not going to walk out to their presence and smooth talk them. Coming were not only the temple police sent by the murderous Pharisees who had hated Him from early on and had been plotting His murder all through His ministry. along came the Roman soldiers as well, trained in cruelty. They were bringing their torches, no doubt. They didn't want to go searching all up and down the, the hillside, digging through the garden. They came with light so that they could find their prey. But they didn't find Him cowering in that garden. They didn't find Him as Adam trembling behind the tree or in the the wood. As a matter of fact, John tells us that Jesus, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth. They didn't have to come and drag Him out of the garden pleading for mercy, begging that they would Be kind to Him. He could have said, Look, I healed all these people. Why are you so angry? Look, I've helped the poor. I've helped the sick. I've done miracles. I'm a good man. Jesus, knowing that His enemies were coming with weapons and murderous hearts, went forth. Not only that, he had to face hypocrisy. Is it not hard to face a friend when you know you've been betrayed by them? It's hard to look at someone who's betrayed you, isn't it? You ever dealt with that? It's hard to do. Jesus went forth and received the kiss of the one who had betrayed him to death. Friends, why have you come? Instead of saying, Son of hell, I will get even with you. He faced the hypocrisy of Judas's betrayal. Not only that, he had to face false religion. What a supreme irony. Stop and think with me for just a few moments. What a supreme irony is before us the very religion founded by God and waiting for the Messiah comes with pagan infidel soldiers to kill their long-awaited Messiah. Those who could not see the pictures and the image of the lambs and all of the sacrifices... We're coming to take the Lamb of God to shed His blood for the salvation of the peoples all over this world. What supreme irony! He came into His own, and His own received Him not. All the sacrifices, all the promises, all the rituals, pointed to the one that they now came to take to death. And this was God's sovereign purpose. He had to see His own religion perverted. Become a murderous thing. And yet, this is how it was fulfilled. Brethren, we have to sit and think on that a long time. This was God's purpose. There's no mistake here. Read Acts chapter 4. It tells us that God and His sovereign purpose gathered all of them together. Herod, Pilate, Rome, the Jews, all of them to bring this to pass. Christ knew that every lamb, every dove, every goat, every single sacrifice, living or meat offering, that had been given and offered throughout all the history of Israel was about to be fulfilled in Himself. But above all the things he had to face, brethren, the thing that takes the breath away is that he had to face the judgment of Almighty God. He had to face the judgment of Almighty God. Christ knew that all the fury and all the wrath of His Father's anger for the sins of His people would soon fall upon His head in wave after wave after wave of thundering fury and judgment, every wicked deed, every wicked word, every wicked thought of His people poured out upon Him with infinite power. Not only upon His body, but upon His very soul. He faced agony from the judgment of His Father. Luke 22, verse 44, it says, And being in an agony, He prayed more earnestly, and His sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What pressed this out of Him? What crushed the Holy Son of God? It was His Father, as His hand of judgment came down upon Him. And He began to know that He was the scapegoat. He began to know that He would suffer the eternal judgment of all of His precious people. He was mocked in Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, as He hung in His indescribable agony upon the cross. As He suffered as no man has ever suffered, His face swollen from the beatings of His tormentors, the thorns pressed into His brow and beaten with a rod, His back torn with whips and hung upon the cruel spikes upon the cross. His enemies stood at His feet and said, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. If He be the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross and we will believe Him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God, and the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same to his teeth. in indescribable agony and anguish, with a torment both in his body and in his soul. His enemies mocked him. And brethren, if this were not enough, if this were not enough to stir our hearts beyond any conceivable imagination's He was then deserted by the Father who loved Him. Matthew 27, verse 46. Brethren, as the excruciating agony of the wrath of God fell upon His body and His soul, it says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did not say, my Father. The precious Son of could now only cry out in His abandonment before the face of the Judge. Jesus Christ, always in that blessed and holy and glorious union and communion with His Father, now in these dark moments, cast off like an unclean thing. And why? What did the Son of God do that He should face this unspeakable torment? He stood as our substitute, for He had no sin. All of that was the Father's hatred for my wicked thoughts. And my wicked words. And my wicked deeds. There He hangs, brethren. I do not believe that the human mind can understand the agony of that doleful cry Why hast Thou forsaken Me? Except it burn in hell. The Holy Son of God was judged. Hear the words of God. He was despised, rejected of men. A man of sorrows, stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, chastised for our peace, oppressed, afflicted. The lamb led to the slaughter, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of His people. Brethren, we can only stand and wonder. We can only stand and be searched by this text. Hear it again. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things there were no surprises. All things which should come upon him went forth. Notice that it says at the end of verse 4 and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Brethren, the courage and the bravery that drove the Lord Jesus Christ not only brought Him forth out of what could have been a potential hiding place, He came forth and said, who is it that you're looking for? He wanted them to say it. He knew who they were looking for. He wanted them to say it. He wanted to hear them say, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto them, I am He. What extraordinary words! I'm the one you're looking for. I am. And Judas also which betrayed Him stood with Him. As soon then as He said unto them, I am He, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now brethren, in my early days as a believer, I read this passage and I read this passage And I couldn't understand it. Why? Why did He come forward and say, I am, and they all fell down? What was the point of that? You were probably all far more advanced than I. I was so in the dark. No doubt you already know. But brethren, the whole point here is that no one takes Me by force. I come, you may take me. Brethren, when He said, I am, the very glory of God knocked them all down. The whole mob on their backs. And He said, Now, once again, read with me. Then ask He them again, whom seek ye? Who is it that you're looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And He said, I have told you. I am He. If therefore ye seek Me, let these go their way. And why? That it might be fulfilled which He spake of them which Thou gavest Me have I lost none. He said, Father, You gave me some. I won't lose them. I kept them in Your name. I keep them in Your name. You men here have a job to do. You can take me now after the glory of God has laid you flat on the ground. Jesus said, this is why my Father loves me. I lay my life down to the sheep. I lay my life down. No man takes it from me. So what is the fruit of this great bravery? Brethren, stand in awe with me. There's never been an act like this. We might look and see someone for which we might risk something for. A wife, a child, maybe out of a sense of duty, I might run into the burning building to bring someone out. Generally, we'd say in this day, well, you know, all human life is valuable. But you know, Jesus Christ went forth to save those that were His enemies. Jesus Christ went forth to save those who hated Him. Well, the fruit of Christ's bravery is first, I would say, that He, the bravest man in the world, will give birth to the bravest people in the world. Does history bear this out? Read The Word of God, brethren. Could there be a braver man than Paul after the Lord Jesus Christ? He could even say, I came to you trembling and in fear, but I was sent by Christ and He never forsook me. He said, when everyone else forsook me, the Lord stood by me. Look at Stephen standing before those that martyred him. Even praying for them. Father, don't lay this to their charge. Who does that sound like? Sound like the bravest man in the world. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Brethren, over and over through the Acts and then through the Epistles, we see the glorious doctrine of Christ beginning to spread out across the face of the earth because the bravest man in the world is in union with the weakest people in the world. Not many... Not many mighty, not many courageous, not many noble. He delights in joining with the weakness and bringing his strength through those earthen vessels. Paul could boast, When I'm weak, then am I strong. Brethren, there will be no strength in our assemblies without Christ's bravery. We will not preach as we ought to preach except we know our God and know His character and know His power and know His love and to know His great sacrifice for us in Christ that our hearts might be set ablaze with a zeal for His worship and His will. Other than that, we'll cower and we won't say things that might bother the big givers. We might not say things that would offend people. We might not say things that would help pluck brands out of the burning. We just get nice and comfortable. Oh, we need the bravery of Christ or our assemblies have no hope. Brethren, there will be no protection for our children without Christ's bravery. We live in a day where they say, oh, by the way, uh, if you'd like to come in and worship the Lord, uh, you have to turn your children in over there at the nursery. And there are people that say, no, my children stay with me. And they say, well, here's the door. See you later. Brethren, we expect the lost world to do things that are unthinkable. It's yet another thing. When we find many of the churches that profess to be Christ's own assemblies doing things that are Hard to believe. Hard to believe. How will we protect our children without Christ's bravery? Fathers, how will you raise them in this wicked world except you have the bravery of Christ to say it doesn't matter what the neighbors think? It doesn't matter what the people in the pew next to me think? I see what God's Word says, and I must raise my children. I must rear them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I must take the convictions that have been forged in my heart by the Word of God and His Spirit and walk in them. How will we do that? How will we build in our children a leadership? How will we lead? how will we build in our children a courage of their own to face this wicked world and to stare down the enemies of God? How will that happen? Except we have the bravery of Christ. There will be no local, there will be no world evangelism without the bravery of Christ. Remember what we've been told. Go into all the nations, not the ones that already say they're Christian. We can barely muster up anybody that will stagger out of the pew to walk down to the street, walk down the street and say something to their next-door neighbor about their eternal souls? How will we ever get in a boat, a plane, and go to the furthest reaches of the world, into places that hate the Gospel of Christ? Oh, oh, if you have the time in your life to read the autobiography of John G. Patton, read it, read it, read it! And see what from a child was emboldened in his heart by a godly father who stood in the courage of Christ and prayed for his children and laid his children upon the altar of consecration to God and said, These are your children, O God. Take them and use them. And we pray that they will be great and mighty in thy kingdom. And to see a John Patton finally say, I will go to the cannibals. When people in his congregation said, don't go! Don't go! We'll give you uh, more money every year. And this house you've been staying in, we'll give it to you rent free. And you're so gifted and you're using your gifts here and they're being blessed down here on Green Street. No, don't go! And one man even said, look, if you go, you'll just be eaten by cannibals. And he said, the Lord has put it in my heart to go. And he said to the man that said that to him, you're an old man and the day is coming when you're going to die and you're going to be eaten by worms. He said, I know my Christ. I know what He's called me to do. Whether I be eaten by the worms or eaten by the cannibals, I will serve the Lord of glory. The bravery of Christ. Christ, knowing all things, went forth. Well, finally, God has made provision for our bravery. We have no resources of ourselves. We have no resources of ourselves. Brethren, God has made a way for us to know Him intimately by His mercy and His eternal grace and love to sinners, He sends His Spirit on that holy errand to bring sinners home to Him. He comes and He touches their hearts. He comes and He seeks them out in their wickedness and in their rebellion. And He gives them new hearts, new eyes to see and new ears to hear so that they will lay hold by repentance and faith, of that glorious good news and the Gospel. They will hear and see and believe the truth that Christ indeed saves sinners just like them. And they will hear His voice in His Word saying, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He hath made a way for us clearly to know His Holy Word, that same Spirit that gives us a new heart, comes and illuminates our minds so that we can read through here and even children can know and understand what God says. Oh, it doesn't mean there are not dark passages. It doesn't mean that there are not passages that we will wrestle with and struggle and pray about maybe all the days of our lives. But brethren, there are passages so clear the youngest children can hear and understand. He gives us His, the new birth. He gives us His infallible Word. He gives us His Holy Spirit. Not only that, He's made a way, of, a way for us to, to have zeal for His will, and that's salvation by grace. Dear brethren, what is it that fills our heart with joy? What is it that fills us? with the joy to be able to go to another sinner and say, oh, come and hear my good news. It isn't that if you get strong enough, if you get powerful enough, if you get smart enough, you can have God. No! We come and we say the God of heaven and earth saved by His grace. Yes, He saves the foulest, the vilest sinner. His blood can make the foulest green It is all of grace. It is all of mercy. It is all of the love of God. Come, sinners. Come, ye sinners. Come, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, joined with power. It's a salvation by grace. Can we not take that? Can we not take it next door? Can we not take it down the street? Can we not take it to the four corners? No one has a word such as we. He's made a way way for us to have zeal. Why do we have zeal? Because, brethren, it came to us. It came to us. It sought us out. What greater message can men hear? What greater news than forgiveness, free forgiveness of sin by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ? What greater encouragement than to know that we're in union and communion with Christ? brother? not only that, He's provided the glorious love that Christ Himself knew. He has loved us so that we might love Him. He doesn't say, now look, if you can work up enough love for me, Oh, I'll shed a little bit of mine on you. Come on now. Let's, come on, see see what you can work up now. Stoke up that old flesh and see if you can get me to love you a little bit. Now brethren, the Holy Spirit comes to each of his dear children, and he says, look up to Calvary and see the love of God. we love Him because He first loved us. Not only that, brethren, He brought us into union with the bravest man in the world. The one who, facing all of His enemies and knowing all that was about to fall upon Him and went forth, that very one, by the miracle of God's grace, dwells in you and me by His Spirit. We don't have to work it up. God's free grace has brought to us the bravest man in the world and has filled our weak vessels with undying love and courage. Lastly, He promised that the bravest man in all the world would always be with us. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I have commanded you. In other words, go and conquer the world in My name. And don't take swords and bounds. Take the sword of the Spirit. Take My Gospel and go conquer the nations. Go in and tell them that they're lost. Go in and instruct them that they're worshiping trees and birds and animals. Go in and give your life for My sake. How do we do that? I, the bravest man in all the world, and with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen.
2: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog,